You're listening to Commute, the podcast. Congratulations, you'll be smarter when you get there. What up? Welcome into Commute, the podcast. I'm Dave. And I'm Jay. And we are about to take you on a deep dive on three topics that we find interesting, and we're betting that you might just find them interesting, too. We can promise you this. You'll be smarter when you get there. On this edition of Commute, teaching historical events after many decades have gone by is difficult, especially when you're trying to convey empathy. We'll discuss a controversial marketing campaign to try to educate young people about the horrors of the Holocaust. When it comes to Christmas traditions, some of us have a ton and some of us have none. Well, regardless of your situation, today we offer up a new one, at least probably new to you, based on one of the most played Christmas songs ever. We use Wikipedia for everything from the serious to the mundane, depending on it when we need to fill our knowledge gaps quickly. So then can the top 25 most read articles of the year teach us anything about our culture? All of that on this edition of Commute. Let's get it. So Dave, we do get the chance to talk about history every once in a while on this podcast. And I'm wondering, when you were growing up, what did history class look like for you? Was that a class you did okay in, that you were interested in? Or was it sort of down the at the bottom of your power rankings of uh, classes that you took? Well, I don't know if you, you know this or not, but I actually was a history minor in college. Uh, was that intentional or was it sort so, of like they just told you, it, hey, guess what? <laughs> <laughs> you got enough classes. You could have a minor. Uh, no, no, actually, history minor. So I could, you teach history, I could probably do your job. <laughs> okay. Um, <laughs> no, but when I think of history class, uh, I, I think back to like, I don't know, eighth or ninth grade, whenever you're supposed to do the preamble, you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. I had to do it at one point, too. I don't think people really push for it now, but yeah, I, I was in okay. that crowd, Well, it too. used to be a thing. It used to be a thing. And there was a guy, I grew up with this guy. He was always in class with me. Horrible student. Horrible, just <laughs> just horrible person <laughs> in general. And uh, he, he did bad at everything. He just didn't try. But when it came time for us to do the preamble, you had to like stand up in class and do the preamble. He aced it. I mean, it was perfect. Everyone was just in such shock over it, including the the teacher, that we knew like something had to be up. <laughs> Come to find out, he had he had taped the preamble to the back of the kid in front of him. And uh, <laughs> did the kid in front of him kid, consent to this? Or no, no, the kid didn't know. The kid didn't know. It was like it was like the ultimate kick me sign. He had taped to. This I don't understand kid. how you don't notice. Like if you're the teacher, like he's not looking at you. I mean, he's clearly staring at something. Well, Dave, we're going to talk a little bit um, about history education today because uh, history education, it's in kind of a, it's always in a weird place where you're trying to teach about things that someone may or may not see as relevant to themselves. And I think people who are in the world of history education always have that hurdle to jump, whether you work in education or you work at a museum or something like that. One of the concerns uh, that educators have is, is particularly around like, events that require a lot of empathy, like the Holocaust is what we're going to talk about. And trying to really convey that to someone when they weren't alive is just kind of a difficult thing to do, right? You're teaching about something that's so distant, specifically yeah. here, how to teach about these events in a way that is empathetic, but also informative. It's really challenging. So I was drawn in, Dave, by a campaign to do just this from a couple years ago, one that's a little bit controversial. It was a brainchild of an Israeli tech executive named Mari Kachavi called Eva Stories. 
from the logic behind the campaign to the controversy that it generated and still does. So Dave, in 2019, an Instagram account appeared titled Eva.Stories, which followed 13-year-old Eva Hyman. On the surface, the account was like any other 13-year-olds. Eva recorded herself talking about her crush, eating ice cream, or picking out clothes. But Eva Hyman was played by an actress, and the real Eva Hyman died in 1944. Over the course of 70 short videos, Eva's world shifts from the mundane to the very serious as she is abducted by Nazis and forced to live in a cramped ghetto and then ultimately arrives in Auschwitz. This whole thing was documented through these stories through the lens of her phone. The account, which today sits at a little over a million followers, was meant to showcase the reality of the Holocaust, but in our modern world in ways we communicate now. The scenes do not cut corners either, Dave. In fact, the project as a whole was produced with 400 staff and actors and a multi-million dollar film budget. Kachavi states that the team read around 30 diaries of young people written during the Holocaust before finally deciding to adapt Eva's. The memory of the Holocaust outside of Israel is disappearing, Mr. Kachavi said in an interview. We thought, let's do something really disruptive. We found the journal and said, let's assume that instead of a pen and paper, Eva had a smartphone and documented what was happening to her. So we brought a smartphone to 1944. Now, Dave, opinions on the project here are understandably very mixed. In 2019, the account did hit Instagram to a lot of fanfare. Celebrity and social media influencers promoted it, and even Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu publicly endorsed the project. But past the fanfare, there was criticism of the project here, too. In the center is the question of how appropriate is it to use selfie culture and the visual language we use today, like emojis and hashtags, to try to convey the horrors of such a tragedy. Critics have accused the project of trivializing the Holocaust and insulting the intelligence of young people today. While the goal of the project was maybe to humanize or showcase the reality of the event in today's world, critics feel as though the project could rope the Holocaust and selfie culture together inspiring controversial selfie photos at the gates of Auschwitz or turning the Holocaust into sort of an entertainment. It sort of raises this question about what subjects should be off limits for consumption on platforms that are designed for quick, casual browsing. I think, Dave, this highlights the conversation around what the line is between teaching about the past but using modern technology as well as the role of social media in shaping our collective memory and how the weight of content that we're under makes it really challenging to maintain a sustained focus on really weighty subjects. But I think the conversation itself is really fascinating, one that we're going to struggle with as we get further away from the past, but also as technology continues to evolve and change. I never really use Reddit. Uh, It's just kind of a crazy place. But there's a ton of sub-threads, like all these different communities of people talking about things in great detail on there. And there's a whole thread, believe it or not, about, did you memorize the preamble in seventh grade? <laughs> and th- this guy threw it out there. It says, when you were in school, were you made to memorize the preamble to the Constitution? I was, and I consider it to be the single most useless thing I, I've ever had to do. I don't know if it was just me or was it everyone. First of all, I guess he didn't go to a school where you had to learn hot cross buns on the recorder because that 
was the single most useless thing that well, we ever Well, to be, to be fair, how many times in your life since school have you said the preamble out loud? Never. Okay. How many times have you played Hot Cross Buns on a recorder <laughs> since you did it in me. school? That's me. So it's not zero, though. <laughs> it wasn't useless for me. I played the recorder all the time. I was actually just playing it the other day, trying to relearn Happy Birthday on it. Because my wife's birthday is coming up soon, I think, and you know she loves a recorder serenade. Does she love it, or do you love <laughs> to do it? And so you sort of projected her loving it onto her. <laughs> At this point, it's hard to tell. Jay, when it comes to the Christmas season, are you a tradition guy? Like, did you grow up with any Christmas traditions that are especially meaningful to you that you try to continue? Or do you just kind of wing it every year like you do with most things? <laughs> <laughs> Seems like you already know the answer. <laughs> um, do I know you or do I know yeah, you? Yeah, no, I don't really have a whole, I'm not really a tradition kind of guy. I just, I don't really get too attached to the idea of traditions. Um, I think naturally they catch on. Uh, every once in a while, like little things like cinnamon rolls on Christmas morning, that sort of came out of nowhere. And that's been a thing that we do every year. So any traditions that have happened in our house have just kind of happened to me. I haven't really like instant, <laughs> like started them specifically. Well, uh, you know, I'm a pretty big tradition guy and I, I really do love holiday traditions. Like one tradition that I'm probably uh, the only one actually who, who enjoys is, uh, is that on my wife's birthday, which once again, once again is coming up very soon, it's right before Christmas, December 23rd. We watched the Arnold Schwarzenegger Christmas classic, Jingle All the Way. So we've got that to look forward to. Uh, she just loves it. So this is kind of like the, the recorder thing, a little bit. <laughs> well, hey, I mean, until I hear otherwise, I'm just going to keep doing it. Uh, now, another <laughs> Christmas tradition I have is uh, one that has just kind of happened that's not fun. Okay, like it's an accidental tradition that started in my house. So it's the yearly tradition of me going up on my roof to hang our Christmas lights, thinking, you know, this is, this is the year. Like, this year it's going to be different. Then I look down, which is seriously only like 12 or 13 feet off the ground. I, I get a little scared, and then I come back down the ladder, and I switch places with her so she can go up there and put the lights <laughs> up. So that's become tradition. <laughs> but, Jay, if you or any of our beloved commute listeners are looking for a new Christmas tradition to add to your yearly rundown, may I introduce Whamageddon? Jay, sticking with the theme and power of Christmas music to bring people together, the goal of a Whamageddon tradition are simple. Each year, from December 1st to December 24th, you go as long as you possibly can without hearing the 1984 Christmas classic, Last Christmas, by Wham! The George Michael and Andrew Ridgely musical duo. You know the song. Great song. Oh, I love that song. It's one of my favorite Christmas songs. So you're not in on this one. But Jay, no, the Whamageddon origin dates back nearly two decades now, when according to the New York Times, a guy by the name of Thomas Mertz and a couple of his buddies in Denmark noticed how frequently they were hearing the song and started telling each other when they had been hit with it each Christmas season. From there, Mertz started a website, whamageddon.com, to share the idea of attempting to avoid the song as long as possible with the world. And over half a million website visitors a year later, the idea has found a bit of a cult following. There are even instances of backlash to this, Jay. Most, yet not all of those, are lighthearted, thankfully, but they happen, happening at places around the world for just playing the song and getting people out. 
Like, for example, at a recent soccer game in Britain, a game experience DJ, you know, the, the guy who plays the music to try to keep the, the hype up at an athletic event, who celebrates the tradition of Whamageddon himself, played the song during halftime. And Jay, he heard about it. <laughs> I never knew people took it so seriously, Matt Facer, the DJ, told BBC Radio. I gave it a spin, thinking it would be quite funny to wipe out 7,000 people who couldn't avoid it, but clearly it wasn't funny. <laughs> and Jay, while participants often take it seriously, something the DJ learned the hard way, the creator Mertz says it's really just a fun option to make a season that can often be lonely for some people a little more fun. It's not a good time of year for a lot of people, Mertz told the New York Times. If we can add just a little bit of fun to that, I think it's worthwhile. And Jay, if you do decide to integrate this into the Sisson family tradition, Mertz's website, whamageddon.com, has official merch, like the Whamageddon coffee mug, a Whamageddon stocking, or even a Whamageddon dress that you could get for your wife so you guys can celebrate in style. <laughs> and then I have to explain it to everyone that sees it. They're like, what is this? <laughs> I mean, it's, uh, you're telling me I need to go around and play the song, I guess, then, and just kind of get a temperature for who in my life is involved. In and if, people get, if they sing along, then they're, they're friendly. <laughs> if they get mad at you, they're foe. <laughs> this close to the Christmas season, too, it'd be devastating to lose. So, Dave, to wrap us up, we're going to talk about one of your favorite topics, which is Wikipedia, a website yep. that both Amen. you and I visit quite often. What a resource. Uh, sometimes it's 1130 at night, and I just have to know something really obscure, and that's always going to be the first place that I'm going to go. And we're going to specifically talk about the top 25 most read articles on English Wikipedia this year, in 2023. So, to start us, though, I pulled up my Wikipedia app. And I wrote down the top, the most recent 10 things that I searched. And so I'm going to read them to you. And we'll see if this helps profile me in any way. I don't know. <laughs> now, uh, we've, but, uh, now, let me say, we, we've, it's been a long time. It was in the early days of commute. We've talked about this before. At least my list is always insane. And I, yeah. I don't know that you've ever read yours. I'll pull mine up while you're reading yours. It's funny to look at it all together because these are 10 yeah. things that aren't really related, right? So my most recent thing was Signs, <laughs> the movie Signs. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> uh, number two was Tim Boyle, who was a third-string quarterback <laughs> of the Jets. Uh-huh. The, my third most recent was Blippy, and I remember okay. searching that because yep. I wanted to know his net worth, up, which yep. is really depressing, by the way. Love it. Um, if you're a parent, don't look it up. It'll make you very sad. Uh, the fourth is the Hamburglar, which I have no clue when I did that or what I was searching for, but it was I did it recently, I guess. The next one was Tom Cruise. Then it was Camp okay. David, which is like the camp that presidents go to. Then it was Laura Dern, the actress from like Jurassic Park and Big Little Lies and all that. Then it starts to get a little off the rails. Then it's Beaker, but from the Muppets. <laughs> <laughs> then it was Dr. Oz. And then it was... Felicity Huffman, which I'm guessing I was like looking at the college admission scandal stuff. And those are my top 10 most recent ones. I like it. Now, I won't do my, for the sake of time, I won't do my top 10. <laughs> I'll just do a few. I'll just do a few and you'll. For the sake of time. You'll, you'll love it. Yeah. That's what you're, that's what you're going yeah. with. So my latest search was uh, Tom Cruise, but I misspelled it. It was, oh. it was Tom Krause. Uh, the uh, next one was uh, Bones. Uh, I think like it was the show Bones. The show Bones, yeah. And then uh, the one after that was Thanksgiving the movie, because that's one of those horror movies I'm never going to see, so I wanted to read the plot. 
Okay, makes sense. So yeah, yeah, I'll just stop there. But yeah, stuff like that. Well, Dave, Wikipedia remains one of the most visited sites on the internet, and it actually racked up more than 84 billion views in 2023. And I think in some ways, Dave, Wikipedia articles can sort of be this cultural snapshot of our year. A lot of times it can capture where our head is at as a society, what we're interested in, what caught our attention this year, people who are impacting the world in good and bad ways, and even things that we're nervous about. It's why we have covered Google searches on this podcast, too. I believe what we're searching for tells us something about us. So I'm going to go through the top 25 most read articles on English Wikipedia this year with you in sections, and we'll just react to ones that stand out to us. So beginning at 25, and we're going to go to 17, we have Andrew Tate, then the Russian invasion of Ukraine, then Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3, then Lisa Marie Presley, followed by India, then Avatar Way of the Water, then Elon Musk, then United States, and then Matthew Perry. And like a couple stand out there, right? Like Matthew Perry, like makes sense why he'd be in the top 25 because he passed away, right? All right, so now we'll go through 16 through 12. All right, so we got Premier League at 16, then Lionel Messi, then Cristiano Ronaldo, then Barbie, the movie, and then Taylor Swift. All right, so anything standing out to you there? A lot of soccer in there. I thought Taylor Swift would be higher. I did too. I thought Taylor Swift would be like, if you told me like that I had to guess for a million dollars, what would be the most searched article on Wikipedia this year? I would have said Taylor Swift, like easily, right? I mean, all the tour, all the, the movie, like all that stuff makes total sense. But yeah, I was surprised by the soccer thing too. Like if you ask me like, athletic wise, what do you expect to see? I I think I would guess like LeBron and maybe like Patrick Mahomes and maybe like Michael Jordan, you know, like people like that, but uh, it's almost all soccer. Like there's, there's not really any mention of the NBA. There's no mention of the NFL. It's a lot of soccer. You got to mention this is English Wikipedia. So we got to rope our UK friends in there, but still, uh, soccer is more, uh, more popular internationally. It's the most popular sport. So that makes sense from that perspective. So then Dave, we have 11 through seven. We have the last of us, the TV series. Then we have Patan, which is a film. Then 2023 Indian Premier League, and then Jawan, which is a film, and then J. Robert Oppenheimer at number seven. Okay, so we'll run through six through two here before we talk about number one. At six, we have the Cricket World Cup, then Oppenheimer the film, followed by Indian Premier League, then 2023 Cricket World Cup, and then deaths in 2023 at number two. Now, the annual list of deaths article is actually, Dave, almost always a popular one. It was the number four most read article in 2022 and the number one most read in 2021. Man, and cricket getting way up there. Yeah, cricket in the top, like, it's top 10, too. Yeah, I mean, when's the last time you thought about cricket? (laughs) I guess a lot of people were thinking about it this year. I mean, if the answer was more than never, then you're lying. <laughs> okay, so all 24 of those out of the way, the most read article on Wikipedia in 2023 was ChatGPT. Uh, and that makes total makes sense, sense, right? I mean, yeah, AI took the world by complete storm this year, and ChatGPT suddenly, almost overnight, became part of our everyday life at school and in the workforce and, and how we function as a society. Every day, AI is used to generate something else in society. I mean, Dave, I saw the other day that ChatGPT generated an entire religious sermon. 
which is something that is becoming more common. And I would imagine churches will host AI-generated services. School will have AI-generated teachers. Movies will have AI-generated actors. Not all of them, but there will be experiments here and how we can use the technology. But I think it's in that uncertainty that we go to Wikipedia to try to help us fill the gaps. At least that's when I use it. But on some level, your Wikipedia search history and our Wikipedia search history on the macro scale, it paints this picture of what we're thinking about in a given space of time. And I just think that's interesting. Two others from my list. Another great misspelling. We've got Jason Codd instead of Jason Kidd. (laughs) Then for some reason, I searched help me. Uh, now, I'm hoping that was just an incorrect place. Maybe I meant to type that to somebody. And it's got to be like a, a movie or a book or something. I don't know. <laughs> it gotta, it's got to be. I don't know. I can't remember it. So I'm hoping it wasn't just a desperate plea. That's a bad you know, place we also, to go. Like, I would imagine that you also, like me, do not donate to Wikipedia, which I feel guilty about on some level because every time I log in, they're just begging. Like They're like, please give us a dollar. Like We need it. And I'm like, get out of my way. I'm trying to learn about Grimace you know, or whatever. Like, but I've never given to Wikipedia. I don't know why that is. Like, I, I probably should give to them. Right? I mean, they I searched their website for countless hours. Well, apparently, my take is, well, I'm not going to help you. <laughs> I need you to help me. <laughs> <laughs> and that's it. Thanks for listening. Don't forget to rate, subscribe, and review Commute on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcast network. We're on social. Check us out on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And you can always say what up at our website, commutepodcast.com. Music for Commute is provided by my main man, Jason Sammons for Jason. And I'm Dave Trapp. We'll see you next week. What would you say is the worst Christmas song? Because I don't think it's even really debatable. If you if you think about it, there's one song that's got to be the worst. Well, you have one on the brain, clearly. So why don't you tell I me do. what... So, what, what is on your brain. Like, you want to say it so bad. <laughs> the worst Christmas song has got to be Christmas Shoes. Yeah, it's pretty bad. Daddy, can I buy these shoes? It's like, he's, like the mom, it's like a like a mom's dying, right? It's like, I need, I gotta buy these shoes for my mom because <laughs> she's gonna just die. just doesn't connect with us. Like, it, it was not awful. written for us it's in awful. mind. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's sort of the consensus what the worst Christmas song is, though. And we've talked about it on this podcast before. It's Wonderful Christmas Time by Paul McCartney. Like that is the consensus most hated Christmas song of all Christmas songs. And I sort of see it. I mean, it it is a really annoying song. Is Christmas Shoes on that list? Has to be. Uh, The list that I had. um, So Rolling Stone has the Christmas Shoes as number 13 on their worst Christmas songs ever. um, Rankings. Esquire. Let me look at them real quick. Yeah, they have that at 14. Daddy, can I buy these shoes for my mama, please? It's Christmas time and she's about to die. I don't, I don't I think, think I don't <laughs> think those are the words. I don't think they say she's about to die. <laughs> it's the sentiment.